so if you've got the Bible, let's go tonight to Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. I heard about an old couple. They've been married for many, many years, 50 years. And uh, they were sitting by the fireside. And uh, he took her over to, he looked over to her, and he had a romantic thought. And he said to her, after 50 years, I've found you tried and true. Her hearing wasn't good, and she said, eh? He said, after 50 years, I've found you tried and true. And she said, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you don't feel that way before you get to the 50-year mark. Okay? Before her wedding, a young bride got more and more nervous about the wedding ceremony. So she went to see the, the pastor and he reassured her by pointing out that the ceremony was quite simple. He said, you enter the church and you walk up the aisle. The groom will be waiting for you at the altar. Everyone will then sing a hymn to start the ceremony. Just remember the order and everything will be fine. On their wedding day, the bride remembered the order and arrived alongside the groom, muttering to herself, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> and that's pretty much the case, isn't it? Matthew 18. Let's uh, read here uh, this chapter. And again, I want to I want to hurriedly read through the chapter because what I wanted to kind of do is a flyby of what's happening here. I think oftentimes when we're talking about the matter of forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the questions of forgiveness. The questions of forgiveness. There are three questions that are posed here in this particular chapter. We're going to look at each each one of them, the, the three questions themselves. But I think sometimes we get distracted. We look, try and look into this passage and understand it without understanding what's been happening. And I, I think that if we'll go back and kind of understand the context and the situation, the setting, it'll, it'll give us a little better uh, understanding of what Jesus is doing here. Notice with me, Matthew 18, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one of, one of such one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged upon his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into, the, into light, halted, or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life without with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. 
For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not lead the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so he so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord... How oft shall I, how shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say it not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and sold his, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told him, told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was raw, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. God, we pray that you'd help, help us, Lord, to let the word of God sink deep into our hearts. Show us, God, our need tonight. God, may you be thorough with us as we deal with this matter. God, I pray that you give me clarity of thought to be able to convey the truths here of this passage. And then, God, we pray that we take some of these things and apply them and use them in our lives, in our married lives. But we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I think it's a wonderful thing to be forgiven by God. I think it's a wonderful thing to know that our sins have been washed away and they've been taken from us. And not only is it a wonderful thing for us to be forgiven by God, it's a wonderful thing when we can forgive one another. When we can learn the principles of forgiveness and let things go. It ought to be the mark of who we are as believers. You know, there are a lot of things that Jesus said, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, by their love one to another. Uh, he told us that uh, there were things that we would people would identify as fruit, as marks of a believer. And I think that forgiveness is one of those marks. The ability to be able to release someone from the penalty of their sin as God has forgiven us. Of course, we know Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says that we should be kind towards one another. 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. So we have a responsibility to forgive one another, responsibility to forgive our brethren. But I think sometimes we forget that when we're living in a married, when we're living in our married life, that we're not just living with our wife, or we're not just living with our husband, we're not just living with a spouse, we're living with a brother or sister in Christ that deserves the exact same forgiveness that we would give. But for some reason, the rules for forgiveness that we apply in our regular everyday lives or in our church life, they don't seem to apply when we get into our homes. For some reason, those people, the, the woman we love or the man we love, uh, just doesn't deserve the same type of, 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 of forgiveness, doesn't deserve the same kind of kindness, doesn't deserve the same kind of patience, doesn't deserve the same kind of compassion. I tell you, sometimes I find this in my own life as a pastor, I'm much more patient with people in my church and much more patient with people in their growing process than I am with my wife and my children at home. That I'm willing to extend more grace and I'm willing to extend a little more leniency to where they're at and what they're doing and kind of give them a pass on things and I have to give people a pass. And I'm much more willing to look past people's fault and know that they didn't mean it or that there wasn't something that they really intended than I am to do that in my own life, in my own heart. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I do things that are just absolutely galactically dumb. Okay, I do things that are stupid. Okay, uh, Every once in a while, I cause myself harm. I cause myself pain. I cause myself, just by my own stupidity, I, I just make dumb decisions. I, I think that you would be honest. If you're honest with yourselves, there are always times when we all do things that we say, that was just stupid. And I'm thankful that I'm not paying more of a consequence for that. Now, when you do something that's stupid, something that you know that is just dumb, how, how long do you stay mad at yourself? I mean, just, just think about it. I mean, aren't you pretty quick to be able to say, ha and laugh it off and just kind of move on? I mean, you don't, you don't beat yourself up over it for very long, do you? I mean, you might think about it and might say, man, that was stupid. But you don't just sit around and go, oh, I am the worst person. I hate you. I, I, I. Now, if you're having that conversation, you need more help than we can offer you this weekend. All right? Okay. But the truth of the matter is, when we do something like that, which we're prone to do very regularly, we're very quick to let that go with ourselves. You know, the truth of the matter is, when the Bible teaches when we get married, the Bible teaches that we become one flesh. And that we are to treat and love our husband and our wife as we would ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Why are you so quick to forgive yourself and not quick to forgive the one that God has bonded to you? Because that's part of you. That's who you are. You're one flesh. Too oftentimes we treat our spouses and our families as though less than we treat people in the church, and then we don't even give them the same the same pass that we even give ourselves on things. I think it's I think it's time that we learn some principles of forgiveness. So that we can forgive, you know, in, in marriage. There's no time, there's no time to just walk around not talking to one another and not speaking to one another. We waste. My wife and I have had this conversation many times. I don't know which one you are in the marriage, but usually in every, in every marriage, there's one that refuses to talk and the other one that chases them down and has to talk about it. Okay. Now, I don't know why, how the Lord puts that together, but in my years of counseling, almost always... I have found that God puts two different types of people together in the same home. One of them is the one that will just 
close up and locked down and doesn't want to talk about it. That's me. That's who I am. Okay? I'm the lockdown one. Okay? Locked down like Fort Knox, man. Okay? I don't want to talk about it. Don't come near me. Okay? Just I want to put out my quills. Okay? I don't want I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. It's just better that you leave. That's the, the best place for you to be is not here right now. Okay? And when I'm ready to talk, I'll talk. Okay? My wife is the one that we need to settle this. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this right now. We need to talk about it before. We need to make sure that we get it taken care of before we go to bed. And that's, that's, that's her position in America. Okay? Each, almost, almost guaranteed in this room, there's one of each of you okay, in America. It, it's just, I don't know why. But you know what? We waste so much time. And I was, I was burdened as I was putting this together, you know, thinking about this. I, I told my wife, you know, I want to I deal with this because this is an area of struggle in my own personal life. Being willing to forgive and move on and to have that clean slate that you can move forward with, do that quickly. I don't, I don't, I don't let things go very quick. I, don't, I, I, I like to hold on to it. I, I like to hold on to it. Now, I, 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 it's not that I want to use it later. I just, there's just something about it that just makes me want to get it. You know, and I want to hold on to it, and I want to use it, and that's not the way the Lord would have us to do it. Now, in this passage, Matthew chapter 18, we often focus on the middle part, okay, where Jesus talks about how to fix a relationship in church. Okay, that's usually the part we usually teach about forgiveness or this parable at the end. But I want you to know, I believe the entire chapter is dedicated to the concept of forgiveness. There are three questions that we see here in Matthew chapter number 18. I want you to see them, and then we'll go back. We're, we're going to look at them, each one. The first question is found in verse number 1. If you'll notice, verse number 1. And the Bible says, And the and at that same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the first, the first question is, Who is? deals with, Who is? And, and the, the first question we're going to call the I question. The I question. It's all about me. Okay? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The second question that you're going to find is found in verse number 21. Okay, go down to verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? He starts off, how oft or how often should I do this? Okay, the second question we're going to call the my question. The my question. First one's the I question. The second one's the my question. It deals with me and what my response, what is my responsibility in this matter of forgiveness? Okay. The third question that we're going to find is found a little later on in verse number 32. Notice the Bible says, Then his Lord, this is in the parable, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgive thee all that thou, all that thou thy debt, because thou desirest thee, she desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Okay. And the concept is, O thou wicked servant. Okay. The last question we're going to talk about is the why question. The why question. So, again, I'm trying to make it easy for you to remember. The I question, the my question, and the why question. Now, in order for us to understand what's going on, we understand what's happening here in the very first verse. Go back to Matthew 18 and notice that uh, at the very first verse, the Bible says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This whole chapter, this whole chapter is predicated upon a discussion that the disciples have been having about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Now, they haven't been just having a discussion about it. I want you to know the Bible says they've been disputing about it. They have been arguing about it. 
Now, you say, I don't find that in this passage. Hold your finger here and go over to the book of Mark for just a second. Mark chapter number 9. Mark provides for us exactly what they've been doing here. And I think you'll, you'll understand it a little bit better if you'll follow me. Mark 9, look at verse 33. Mark 9, 33. Very clear that this is not just a discussion. This is a disputation and an argument. Notice what the Bible says, verse 33. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? Jesus acknowledged it as a dispute. And they were talking amongst themselves. Jesus asked them, Okay, what was your converse? What was your, what was your argument about earlier? Now notice their response to him, verse 34. But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. The, the, the disciples had been having a disagreement. They'd been having an argument. They were all trying to climb over each other in order to reach heights of who was the greatest and who was the best and who was going to have the best seat and who was going to be the most honored and who should be treated the best when they get into the kingdom that Jesus was going to lead them in. That's what they were vying for. Now, Jesus asked them, and rightfully so, they didn't respond because they did because they knew that they didn't need to tell Jesus they were having an argument. Okay? Last person you want to talk to when you're having an argument with somebody is Jesus. Okay? Right? When you're having an argument with your spouse, you talk to Jesus about it? No. You need to talk to Jesus about it because Jesus is going to tell you to go get right and he's going to help you get right. He's going to help you forgive your spouse. He's going to help you forgive that person. Jesus is going to make sure, because he knows what's going on in you, he's going to make sure that relationship is right. Jesus is going to make sure that thing's fixed. Jesus is going to make sure that you guys talk it out and that you get those things fixed and you don't go to bed, that the sun doesn't go down upon your wrath. That's what Jesus is concerned with. And so he asked them here, notice he goes on, verse 35, and he sat down and called the twelve, he calls them unto himself, and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Verse 36, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Okay, now go back to Matthew 18. What happens in verse number 2? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. It's the exact same story, except Mark provides for us the details of the fact that they were disputing amongst themselves. They were arguing with each other. Okay, so here's what's happening. Jesus' little church, okay, has having its first division. Jesus' little church is having its first fallout. They're having its little argument. So I'm going to tell you, this whole chapter is about Jesus fixing their relationship with one another. This whole chapter is not talking about the little ones. And Listen, you can't understand what Jesus is saying about the little ones unless you understand what's happening in Mark 9. And that is, they're all arguing with one another. They're not talking to one another. They're angry with one another. They won't tell Jesus what the problem is. And so he's going to make them look like fools by teaching them a simple point. And so what he does is he brings a child in and he sets him amongst them. Now, Jesus brings a child in. Notice he says in verse 3, and he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children. Now, I am not disputing the fact that, that we have to have childlike faith in order to enter into the kingdom of God. But remember, the concept of the kingdom here in Matthew 18 is what they've been arguing about. They've been arguing about who's the best in the kingdom. 
So the issue for Jesus is about them arguing about who's going to be the best. Notice he says, verse 3, he says, Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is, you can't even get in the way you guys are acting. He said, you guys are all acting like you're the best, and all of you want to be treated with great respect, and all of you want to sit at the best tables, and all of you want the best seats. He said, I'm telling you that not a one of you is going to even get in the way that you're behaving. The way that you're acting. And he goes on, he emphasizes in the next verse. Notice he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. Why did Jesus say that? Because their problem was pride. The Bible is very clear that the Proverbs 13 and verse number 10, that by pride cometh contention. When you're having an argument in your home, that argument has come about by pride. Someone is proud. Someone is unwilling to bend. Someone is unwilling to give. And that's exactly what has happened. These men, rather than, and Jesus is trying to teach them, that the key to the kingdom of heaven is not about how, you can, how high you can climb and who you can climb over. It's about how low you can stoop. And you better learn in your marriage that if you want your marriage to succeed, that the, the principle of servanthood that you need to learn is a principle of humility. Stop trying to climb over the person and get to where you want to go and start learning to stoop under that person and be a servant in your marriage. Because that will help you if you'll humble yourself and stop just eating the, 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 the cake of pride and filling yourself and feeling like you're the most important one. That's part of our problem. Our problem is we feel like we're the most important one. It's the reason why we don't want to solve the problem. It's the reason why we don't want to talk about it. It's the reason why we, we clam up and we don't want to have and we get angry and we push people away. We feel like our feelings are most important. We feel like we're the ones that are that, that, that's most important and our feelings haven't been considered. Nobody knows how I feel and nobody cares. And it's all this big pity party that we have. That's exactly what's been going on with the disciples. They're, all they're doing is thinking about themselves. All they're doing is thinking about their own situation. So again here, what Jesus is thinking about, when Jesus bring this child in, is Jesus bringing this child in for the purpose of teaching them about children? No. He's, he's got a child, but he's teaching them about brethren. About how to deal with someone else who loves the Lord. Really, every time he's talking about a child or children or little ones here, he's talking about how to treat our brethren. That's, what, that's the lesson here that he's doing. And he's bringing this child in. He says, you need to be like this little child. Now, in this section, the disciples were bickering about who would be the greatest. And there are three lessons that we see here underneath this first question. Okay, The, the three lessons that we see here under the I question are these. Jesus deals with three things. He talks about our willingness or the willingness of a brother. He talks about the worth of a brother. And he talks about the winning of a brother here. In these verses. Notice first off the willingness of a brother in verses 3 and 4. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus is talking about the willingness of the willingness of a brother to prefer someone else other than themselves. You know the Bible teaches us. That the, the, the position of a servant is being willing to prefer others, to esteem others. The Bible talks about esteeming others better than ourselves. 
That's the principle. When Jesus came, he had the mind of a servant. The mind of a servant always says, I prefer your needs to my needs. I prefer your problems to my problems. That is, I'm giving preference. I'm deferring to you. That is, I'm never going to look at things and say, my problem is the biggest problem. I'm going to look at things and say, your problem is the biggest problem. Your needs are the biggest needs. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, he didn't worry about his own needs. Okay, He was here to minister. He was here to become servant to all. And when he came, he came and sacrificed himself to minister to our needs. Because our needs, he put our needs before his own. That's why he gave his life. He was willing to sacrifice himself because he gave his life at Calvary, putting you and me ahead of him. That's what Jesus is talking about here in verses 3 and 4. He sets this little child in the midst of him. He says, he says if, you're not, if you don't become converted and you become like this little child, if you don't humble yourself and start learning to be willing to prefer somebody else better than yourself, you'll never get you'll, this dispute will never end. You'll continue to argue with one another. And listen, if in your marriage, if you if you do not learn to prefer your partner, prefer your spouse above yourself, you will continue to have problems because pride is what brings about contention. Jesus is telling them, giving them the answer. The way that you get rid of this contention, fellas, is you get rid of the pride. You get rid of the pride and become like this little child. This little child doesn't, he's not concerned about everybody. He's not concerned about his own needs. He's concerned about everybody's up, everybody else. You know, little kids will come and run and tell you if something's going wrong with somebody else, won't they? Eh? They'll come and tell you. They're concerned about the needs of others. They're, they're concerned. A lot of times kids are willing to give quicker than anybody else. They're willing to give of themselves and give their lunch and give something. Uh, sometimes uh, you, you come to a time when you're doing offerings or you're doing things, and sometimes it's, the, it's out of the mouth of babes you hear. Kids suggest giving something, or they sacrifice something, or they're willing to go and get their piggy banks and open it up and break it out and give it. And sometimes we adults are the ones going, no, no, you don't want to do that. I mean, you don't want to give all that. I mean, listen, it's good to give to God, but I mean, don't give it all. Jesus is using this child as an illustration to the adults that are sitting there telling them you can learn a whole lot more sometimes from just being a child and thinking as a child does than you can thinking as an adult. All you guys are worried about who's the greatest. This kid's not worried about who's the greatest. So he talks about this matter of willingness, the willingness of the brothers. In an argument, we must be willing to take the lower position. The lower position. Listen, you can win an argument and lose a brother. You can win an argument and lose in your marriage. You can win an argument and lose your marriage. And lose your spouse. Which is greater? To win the argument? Or to humble yourself and win back the person? Jesus talks, first of all, about willingness. Secondly, he talks about worth. It's a natural connection. Because he goes on in verse 5, and he says, And whosoever, whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones. Now again, he's not talking about the children, he's talking about brethren. So he says, so whoever offends one of these, what, what kind of offense is he talking about? He's talking about their argument earlier. They were offending one another. They were jockeying and saying, hey, I'm the best because, and God's not going to put you in the best seat because you're this, this, and this. I think they were all listing each other's deficiencies. 
and talking about the reason why Jesus wasn't going to give them the best seat at the table in the kingdom. And so while they were listening, all, by the way, if you focus on people's deficiencies, if you focus on the negative aspects, you will bring offense. There will be offense. That's not helpful. And so Jesus says to them here in these verses, he says, he says, Whosoever shall receive one child of my name, but whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his brethren. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged up on his neck and that he drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. What he's saying here in these verses is, he said, he's asking you the question, how important are your brethren to you? How important are Do they have value to you? Because if you value them, and you value them as people, he says, woe unto those that the offenses come. Woe unto the one that are going to offend one of these brethren. He said, woe unto them. When Jesus pronounced a woe, it's a very serious offense. What's he saying? He said, he's saying, how much do you value one another? How much, are you, how much, how much is your brother worth to you? You know, unfortunately, many times in our marriages, our pride is worth more and we value more than we value our spouse. Our spouse. When you fail to humble yourself, when you fail to exhibit the willingness you need to humble yourself, what you're saying is, I value me more than I value this person. When you fail to get things right with that person at church, when you fail to get things right with your spouse in your home, you're saying, I prefer me above you. And Jesus is asking the question, how much are they worth? Notice he goes on, continues this. Wherefore, if thy hand, verse 8, if thy hand and thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. That is, if that's what's going to offend them, get rid of it. Get rid of it. He says, it is better for thee to enter the life whole or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast in everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter the light with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast in hell fire. He said, listen, you've got to value people more than you value yourself. And if something is going to cause an offense, if something's going to bring the offense about, get rid of it. What is it in your life that you're hanging on to that's causing the contention between you and your spouse? What is it that's causing contention and strife? And you just are holding on to it with all that you've got and not willing to let it go. Listen, we've got to, we've got to let that go. Because when we let that go, what we're saying is, no, 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 no. I value you more than I value this thing. I don't want to hold on to this and lose you. In fact, I'd rather walk around with a patch over my eye and be without one hand or maimed and halt rather than to bring offense to another brother. If you're living with someone who's a born-again child of God, your sister or your brother in the same household. Jesus talks about not only the willingness of a brother, but the worth of a brother. Uh, he talks about, he's talking about treating them with respect. And then he goes on and he uses this story of himself coming. Verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep? And one of them be going astray. That, that basically, Jesus said, I forfeited, I forfeited my rights because I valued the one that was wandering. I came down to seek and to save. I was willing to get rid of and let go of in order to be able to come here, in order to be able to minister. Listen, we ought to value people in relationship. Then he talks about the winning of a brother. 
the winning of a brother. In verses 11 through 20, why did Jesus come? What again was seeking to say? Jesus says, when, when a brother offends you, go to him. Notice what he says, verse 14, even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's still not done talking about the little ones. Okay, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Jesus says, listen, if, if you're offended, you, you, if you're offended, you ought to go and get that right with your brother. Now, again, he's not talking to the offender. He's talking to the offended. Now, let me say, the offender is usually not walking with God enough to be able to get that right. But if you're walking with God, and if you've been offended, you've got to go to the one who was the offender, and you've got to get it right. Sometimes we think, oh no, they offended me, they need to come to me. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Not going to happen that way, right? I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm not buckling under. Let them come to me. They said it to me. They should be apologizing to me. That's pride. Jesus said, the person who has been offended ought to be walking with God and is the only one really in the situation that can be walking with God in such a way to get this, to initiate this and get this right. You think the offender, they're the one that did it. You think they're walking with God enough to be able to get that right and come to you? No. The emphasis is placed on the person who's been wronged. He said, you go to them and you get it fixed. When our feelings are hurt, when our feelings are hurt, we don't want to go. That's when we sit and we just ruminate in our own bitterness and anger, resentment. See, they can talk to me. They can tell him what to do. Tell him where to go. He can try and come in here and tell me what to do. I will show him. I'll show him the door. I'll take all his clothes and put him on the front wall. <laughs> right? And that's the way we act. <clears throat> And all we're doing is making the problem worse. Listen, some of you are sitting here and you're not even willing to, to think the way Jesus is, is talking. You're not even willing to, to rethink the way that you argue because you're sitting here right now saying, that's just impossible, I can't do that. Listen, there's a lot of things that, the, that God will ask of us that seem impossible that can only be enabled by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen, that's right. That's the reason why He put the Holy Spirit in you. Listen, I hear people say, God will never tempt you above that you're able. God, God's not going to put on more on you than, than what you can handle. What a bunch of malarkey. I can't find that in my Bible. What I find in the Bible is God will often push me beyond my limits so the only person that can be glorified is Him when I get it right. God is often testing us beyond our boundaries. And this matter of forgiveness will test you far beyond your boundaries, far beyond anything you thought. Oh, man. Now... He's now, now I'm going to be the one that's offended, and then I got to go and fix it. Right? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Notice he goes on. Here in these verses, if you will not hear thee, then take it with one or two or more in the mouth of two or three witnesses. He gives us a whole, a whole regiment on how to fix it. And by the way, he deals with disputes between the church in the church. You want to know why? Because there's a dispute in his church. His, his disciples are having the first argument. And he's telling them how to get it right with each other. How to fix it. 
Listen, you can't ignore the problem. You can't ignore the problem. The offender isn't in any shape to get it right. When we fail to get things right with someone, we are revealing how unspiritual we are. When you say, I'm not going, I'm not fixing it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deal with it, and first of all, you know that person's not walking with God because they offended you. And when you refuse to deal with it, what you're saying is, well, I'm not walking with God either. You're revealing your own spiritual condition by refusing to deal with it. By the way, the goal is always to gain a brother. The goal is always to gain a relationship. And say, you know what, I value you. So, Jesus talks about the willingness we must have. That is to humble ourselves. The word that is valuing other people more than we value ourselves. And then talks about how to win them, how to achieve that. Now notice the second question. I promise the other two are not nearly as long. The first one, who is, which is the I question. The second one, how often, which is the my question. The my question. Notice Peter in verse 21. Then came, Pete, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, by the way, this is still, he's, the, the, the whole chapter is dealing with the same thing. Lord, he says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Now Peter thought he was pretty hot stuff here. Because okay. he comes to Jesus and he says, okay, how often do I have to do this if I'm offended? I'm willing to go all the way to seven. Okay. By the way, if that's as far as we went, all of you'd be divorced by now, <laughs> right? Seven, seven's my limit. We're done. Okay, right? You're done. Now here's what here's what was happening in Jesus' day. The rabbis, which had written many many volumes on top of the law of God, had placed had decided that four was the limit. They had said that four was where you ought to go. You forgive someone four times. If someone offends you four times, then that is your obligation and your responsibility. Now, this is a case of the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people adding to the law of God because God had placed no limit on it in the Old Testament. That was just what they assumed because certainly nobody would expect this to just be a doormat and for somebody to run over us over and over and over again. So they said four. So Peter thinks it's great. Because he comes to Jesus and he says, now listen, let me tell you what Peter's willing to do. Okay. Peter is willing to go to seven. Okay. That's better than all these hypocrites. That's better than all the religious people. That's better than the Pharisees and the scribes. That's better than, uh, that, that, that. I mean, I think that's pretty good. That's the way, that's pretty much Jesus, that's pretty much Peter's thought every time he speaks. Okay. Every time he thinks, he kind of looks at, at Jesus like, I think that's pretty good. Okay? And then Jesus rebukes him. Okay? And puts him in his place. What do you think is going to happen here? Jesus is going to rebuke him and put him in his place. Concerning the matter of forgiveness. He thought four was good. Notice he goes on. He says, Jesus said in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now I'm going to tell you, Peter's a fisherman, and he doesn't have that many fingers and toes. Okay? <laughs> he just doesn't. And so when Jesus says 70 times 7, Jesus is not saying up to 490 times keep track. What Jesus is essentially saying is there is no cap and there is no limit on the matter of forgiveness. Here was Peter's problem. I was trying to think of if it's our problem. Peter's problem was this. 
Peter thought that forgiveness was his to give. That's what his problem was. He thought that I have the power and I have the ability to be able to forgive somebody else. He didn't realize that forgiveness wasn't his to give. Forgiveness was God's to give through him. When he, Every time that you view forgiveness as me giving it, you always look at it like it's some big chore, like some big labor. Well, I'm going to forgive you again. Well, I'm going to forgive you again. Out of the depth of my heart, I guess I'll forgive you again. Well, I, you, you've really been terrible, but out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to forgive you again. You've heard the phrase, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay? That's no different than what Peter said here. That is a phrase to put a cap on the matter of forgiveness. Here's the truth. Forgiveness isn't yours to give. It's God's. And it's God's gift to give through you. And as long as you think that forgiveness is yours to give, you'll put a cap on it, and you'll limit it, and you'll think you're the greatest thing in the world because you keep forgiving. When the truth of the matter is, God's forgiveness has no limit, and you better have to be thankful for that. Because over and over and over and over again, God forgives us, and we come to Him having committed the same grievances and the same offenses and telling God we're not going to do it again, and we turn around and we do the same thing again. How many times? Don't raise your hands. How many times have you found yourself coming back to God with the same sin and the same problem and the same confession and you just know that at some point God's going to get tired of it. I'm going to tell you, He doesn't get tired of it because the blood of Jesus Christ provides for us every time that we confess and genuinely confess to God, God provides for us forgiveness. He's faithful and just every time to forgive us of our sins. And so if forgiveness is yours, then you can withhold it. If forgiveness is yours, you can choose to put a cap on it. But if it's God's, you don't have any right to determine how much people get it. And you don't have any right to determine how much you give it out. And you don't have any right to place a cap on it. And I'm going to tell you, forgiveness isn't yours. It's God's to give. And God wants to give it through you. That's why the enablement of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Listen, uh, if you have a bank account in your care, you can choose how to spend it. It's your account. Now you're going to be careful how you spend them because you're going to know what the limit is, you're going to know what you're going to know what what's in there. Okay, you want to make sure that you're not having an overdraft fee. Okay, you want to make sure that you've got enough in there to cover the bills that are coming in. You check that every day. You pull out your phone. You check your check your account. Check to see what's going on. What's coming in? These things are pending. Oh, we better put a little more money in there today. Anybody else play this game? Okay, I'm not the only one. Good. Okay. Good. So you're playing. <laughs> Feeling like maybe you guys had some money. I was going to think of an offering. And so, um, and so you're moving money around, okay? And you're trying to make sure that everything's in the, in the right place. You're getting it? And, and it, because it's yours and you know the limit of it and the balance of it, you're very careful how you spend it. But if somebody else comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm giving you access to an account. And I, I want you to just pay these bills. I'm going to make sure there's plenty of money in to be able to pay it. You don't, don't worry about it, are you? You're just going to pay it. And every time it's due, you're going to pay it again. You're going to pay it again. You're not going to worry about it. You're going to pay it every time it's due because there's no worry about it. I'm going to tell you, that's exactly the way it is with forgiveness. God has given you access to his account. If you'll stop taking ownership and stop believing that forgiveness is your to give, then you can learn to dispense it 
every time it's due. Every time it's due. Peter thought, oh, this is mine. Well, I'm going to give it. Listen, we, we think forgiveness is ours to give. We say things like, well, they don't, you don't know how much I've been hurt. <laughs> well, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I know what they did to Jesus. And I know whatever they've done to you is not worse than what they did to Jesus. And I know that Jesus was willing to forgive. And he's giving you access to his account. So what's your problem? What's the excuse? We don't get to give people a number of chances because it's God's. We dispense it according to God's will, not ours. There's no limit to forgiveness. If we're going to forgive like this, it has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from the throne of grace. Because we simply can't do it on our own. And then thirdly, I want you to see the third question, which is the why question. It appears in verse number 32. Then his Lord, after the eight, he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? So here's the, here's the, the, the story that Jesus tells. He transitions right from Peter's question into a parable. This parable is about a, a king who has a servant. Now likely this servant is a wealthy servant. He's probably one who's a shareholder and has been given great responsibility. When it comes time, you'll notice here in the passage as he, he's talking about, that there was a time when a reckoning came, came through. Verse 24, And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. I'm going to tell you, we don't know how much this is. Okay? You read every commentator, they're all going to tell you something different. Here's what we know. It was a lot of money. In fact, it was worth, according to the scriptures, in order to pay off this debt, he was going to be sold, his wife was going to be sold, his children was going to be sold, and all of his goods were going to be sold in order to pay off his debt. This was more than the man was worth. It was more than the man had. It was more than he could ever repay. So understand, the amount that he owes. That's all you got to know. You don't have to know the specifics. Okay? And so Jesus goes on. This would have been an enormous amount of money. Verse 25, For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded to be sold his wife and children, all that he had, and payments to be made. The servant therefore fell down and words were saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And so you know what the Lord does? The Lord looks at him and he says, you know what? There's no way that you can pay it. There's no way that you can, can give it to me. And he has compassion on him. He has mercy on him. And he says, I'm going to absorb it. That's the only way that this could be paid. The only way he could be paid was if the king absorbed the fee, the total. So the king absorbs it. And he says, I'm setting you free. Well, on his way out of having received mercy, he meets a man who owes him money. But according to the scripture, notice what it says in verse number 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Now I'm going to tell you, this is nothing. Compared to the 10,000 pounds that they have, this is, this is, this is just something you can reach in your wallet and pay. That's, that's the correlation that Jesus is making here. One man owed so much, he, everything he had and all his family would have to be sold in order to be pay, able to pay it. The other guy finds somebody that owes him enough that he can reach into his pocket and pay it. And he looks at the man, and the man doesn't have the money. And the man falls down, and the man says to him the same thing that the man had just said to the king. He falls on his mercy, he says, I'll pay everything. I'll pay everything. 
And the man says, nope, I'm not doing it. And he takes the man and he sends him to, sends him to jail for just a very small amount of money. Then as the story wraps up, as the story wraps up here, you'll notice, it says, verse number 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him and said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me, shouldest thou not that also, shouldest thou, thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? The king hears about it, calls him back in and says, What are you doing? I just forgave you all of this. All of this. And yet you won't forgive somebody a little bit of that? And by the way, any grievance in your home is just a few pence. Any disagreement in your church is just a few pence compared to what Jesus absorbed for you at Calvary. That's the correlation here. You've been forgiven a whole lot. God has released you from a boatload of sin. Who are you to hold that few pence over someone else's head? The third question, the why question, basically answers why should I forgive? And it answers this question because I've been forgiven much by the Lord. So there's three questions here. The three questions, the I question says this, life is not about me. Life is not about me, is it? It's about being humble and not about getting rid of my pride so that I can fix that relationship. The my question says forgiveness isn't mine to give. It's not mine. It's God's. And the why question, why should I forgive? Because I've been forgiven that much. Now some people struggle with the matter of forgiveness because they they believe that in order to forgive properly, they have to forgive and forget. Let me pause right here and just kind of fill you in on what the Bible teaches in this, this regard. There is no way that you can forget what has been done to you. And I want you to know that God does not forget. He knows all things and all things there is to be known. When the Bible talks about forgiveness, it says that he will remember it no more. There's a difference between remembering it, calling something to memory, and forgetting it, not being able to remember it. Sometimes we think we have to not be able to remember it. That's not the way God forgives. The way God forgives is, He's not going to call it to His memory. That is this. Understand this. God says when He forgives you, I'm not going to talk about it to anybody else. I'm not going to bring it up to you. And I'm not going to talk about my, talk about it to myself ever again. When you forgive, and you forgive properly, what you're saying is, I'm not going to talk about this to anybody else. I'm not going to call it to memory in our relationship. I'm not going to remind you of it again. And I'm not going to talk about it to myself. I'm not going to let myself dwell on it. That's real, genuine forgiveness. I think our homes absolutely must have some real, genuine forgiveness. I, 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 I don't think we're quick enough to be able to acknowledge our faults and get beyond things so that life can get back to the, the wonderful harmony that God intended for it to be. 
don't know about you. I need, I need it. I need it. My, my wife and I need it. And if you need it, there are three questions. All of them are answered. The I question, the my question, and the why question. All of them answered by Jesus in Matthew 18. 